Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, host of the RouterFlex podcast and founder and CEO of our day job recruiting firm, RouterFlex. We hope you enjoy this episode. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the podcast for updates and news. Finally, if you haven't already, check out the series of books we've published on hiring, interviewing, and overall career advice titled The RouterFlex Guide, available on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Most homeowners don't have the time or expertise to properly take care of their home, which causes costly issues to arise. That's where Cura Home Maintenance comes in. We're a full-service, routine maintenance company that was developed by a certified home inspector. Each quarter, we service our clients' homes following manufacturer's recommendations to properly maintain all the necessary appliances. We provide the materials and expertise to prolong the life of your property, creating a healthy and efficient environment for your family. From top to bottom, we'll maintain and service your home. To get started, we have a property inspection to determine what needs to be maintained, and a maintenance plan is created based on your preferences. From refrigerator coils to filters, vents, and drains, we do it all, and we do it well. Contact us today for your free routine maintenance inspection and never worry about your maintenance again. Mark, thank you so much for being on the RiderFlex podcast. Appreciate it. Steve, um, it's great to be here. Great to be here. So a, a, a Bay guy since, man, the 70s. I don't know. What, a long I, time I saw ago. You went, yeah, a long time ago. All right, give, me the, give, us the, give us the family story first. Let's start with parents and siblings and things, if you don't mind. Um. Oh, yeah. So... So, um, grew up in the UK. Um, That's where the accent uh, comes from. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I was, um, my dad, a lawyer. Uh, my mom um, was, you know, did what, um, what women did in those days until about 20 years ago when she graduated from the School for Deacons in Berkeley and has worked at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco ever since. Wow. Uh, still now in her 90th year, still working there. How about that? How about that? Um, Pretty cool. I have uh, a sister, full sister, two, three, half brother, two half brothers, two half sisters. Okay. Well, how, a, how yeah, old were you when you're... A typical how, modern mix yeah, of, yeah. of folks. Were they married before or that happened after? How, oh, was so that? They, so my mom and dad, it was their first marriage and they split up when I was four. Ah. Um, and so, you know, we kind of grew different families. My mom um, uh, got introduced to a great guy, American guy, uh, at a party in the UK. And six months later, she was married and a little later living in California. That's and how the so, California move happened. I see. Was your so, was your dad pissed? Was your dad pissed? What, what if he was he like? Hey, man, you can't take the kids. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, long story. <laughs> it, it, it was a mess. Um, the the divorce, their divorce, actually ended up in the newspapers. Really? Whoa. Yeah. So anyway, lots of, lots of lots of you know great family stuff. How uh, old were you when you moved? Because the accent is so still then, there. Yeah. yeah so, so what happened was I actually stayed in the UK. Different story there. And I'll tell you oh, about it. Okay. Um, 
but they married when I was 14. And then I would fly out on school holidays to California. And so when it came time for, um, for college, there was a choice of, do I go to some place in the UK where it's cold and gray, or do I go to California where it's not quite as cold and gray? And uh, it was a pretty easy choice at that point. So college was was the was was here uh, at Cal Berkeley. I got you. Okay, and, very very good. Okay. And my high school was a British, what they call public school, which is actually a private school, which was a boarding school, which had lights out at ten o'clock and school uniforms. And I went from mm. that to Cal Berkeley. <laughs> which I describe, I describe in those days as weed and waterbeds. And so it was quite a culture shock. Yeah, I, can, I can't even imagine. And especially in the late 70s, you were like, wow, okay, this is cool. No, it was, you know, it was amazing. It was truly like, you know, you landed on the moon. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. But um, I loved it. It was, it was yeah. And, and I think really an extraordinary time to be here because everything was secular, right? You were just, you know, the the, the tech uh, revolution in the Bay had started probably in the late 50s, mm. um, but had gathered a lot of steam into the 70s. And so you had companies like Apple and Intel, you know, really taking off. Yeah, and for sure. Tech was just about to take off. So Genentech had been, had been uh, formed and, and, you know, by kind of the mid eighties, there were, you know, a hundred biotechs of any, of any size and maybe 50 of them were in the Bay. So it was a really cool time to be here. Now, but your major was finance. What, what did you think you wanted to do originally? What was the original plan? I wanted, so for some unknown reason, Steve, I thought I should be an accountant. I'd done well in accounting classes and way later in life, like really way later in life, I did, you know, the personality tests. Okay. And so my prevailing personality is an ENFP, which they call the campaigner personality type. Okay. And so if you have that personality, they say, what you absolutely, one of the things you should consider is being an entrepreneur. But here's the things you should not do. And it starts off with accounting, right? And so here I find myself, in one of the big accounting firms, just hating every freaking day, thinking if this is what work is like, then work's going to be miserable. Yeah. This is going to be 30 or 40 years of misery. Um, but I was super fortunate because I worked for predecessor to Ernst & Young, a firm called Arthur Young, and they did the accounting for all the startups in the Valley. Great. Awesome. And they did the, uh, the, 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 the Apple, Intel, Genentech, all those companies. And I just got fortunate because I started, I, I had some of those as my clients and yes. I realized that that's where I wanted to be. If I, and whenever they put me on a big company, I just realized, oh my God, that's just it's stifling. It's just not, it's just not what I want to be. I can't, I can't bear it. And you go to small companies and the, and just, you know, everything about everything that pulls you in yes. to the startup world, 
you know, the big dreams, the the passion, you know, the the fact that you you're in it every day um, was appealing. And so thank goodness I went to that accounting firm. I see. That led me down the road to where I needed to go. And and then was there eventually a specific love or passion for biotech or pharmaceuticals or how did that weave into it? Yeah, I it, it was funny. I was thinking about this when I was when I was going to talk to you. You know, the the one and, and it was weird. It may well not have been specifically the world of biotech itself. It may have just been one company, but there was one there was one uh, audit that I was assigned to, and it okay. was an unauditable company. <laughs> but they needed an audit because they needed to raise money, and it happened to be a biotech company. And the um, I worked with a CFO, and he said, "You know, we'll, we'll figure a way." He was an he he had worked with me before in at at Arthion. He said, "We'll figure a way to make this thing." Anyway, six months later, we had an audit. We had it signed off. And I was like, that's what I love. I love the puzzle. I love to be able, when somebody tells me this is impossible, this is unauditable, I love the fact we got an audit done. That's what kind of sort of turned me on. That was the, and then because we spent six months on this small company, I got to understand what they were doing and why it was important. And that drew me in. I see. And three months later, I was working there. I got you. They made you... They they brought you in as an executive as a C level or do you remember what that you first came, I came in, as? in as a, I came in as a controller. Yep, that sounds right. But then for that um, timeline, yep. And uh, um, so now back. you're in startup. So now you're in startup. You're in biotech. Those are fun, but you're still crunching numbers, which you don't particularly love doing every day functionally. Right. <laughs> so here was so so here's what you do. Here's what I think. You know the. I knew that to get out of it, I needed to be at a higher level position. Yes. Um, and I knew that it wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to become CEO or head of R&D with my background. Okay. But I realized that in biotech, if you're the CFO, your job is not to crunch the numbers. Right. Your job yep. is to go raise yep. money. Yeah. Most of and the time. So what, what you're basically doing is representing the business of the company in dollars. Um, and you have to understand basically how the how the how these businesses function. So you know, what gets an investor interested in raising money and mm-hmm. giving you money? What takes pharmaceutical companies interested in partnering with you? And what are the dynamics of of R&D and how, how it is you build products. More more puzzle solving with you putting these uh, pieces That's together right. to make, so to make people- great. So it was all yeah. puzzle solving, yeah. right? Yeah. So I did stuff like, you know, back in those days, you couldn't go online and look at <laughs> um, the SEC filings of companies, but you could, there was a company, there was a service where you could actually buy filings of other companies. Oh, what was it? What was the service? You remember? Get the name of the story. Yeah, that's okay. I remember yeah. you you yeah. you you get a checklist and you check off it. Yeah. And so I just I went and bought you know twenty 
10Ks and S1s okay. from different biotech companies and just review their businesses, right? What, what, what does it take? And then, you know, if you were, if you were a, if you're going to be a CFO, you needed to know about SEC filings and dealing with Wall Street. So who do I know who's dealing with Wall Street? Anyway, I was super fortunate, Steve, that there was a group of execs, and this was around 89, who were all new to biotech, all kind of CFO level execs, okay. who said, we don't know enough about biotech, so we're going to form this group, and we're going to call it the Association of Bioscience Financial Offices. And we're going to get together on a monthly, quarterly basis. All right. Let's yeah. exchange ideas and, and issues. And so, uh, in very, very early days, I was fortunate enough to join that group. And I basically learned from those people, right? It's like, it's super important to find the people who are doing the job you want. That's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that group, I mean, I, I still have friends from 1989 when we were starting that, right? <laughs> and I became the... I think I was the second president of that group in 90 or 91. Um, but it was, it was really, you know, the power of, of reaching out to your peers, reaching out to a network, having a network. Yes. Of, of like-minded people. Yes. Um, you know, I can't remember, we did some kind of, non-bank of financing and our board said well how do you know how to do that so I was like, yeah you know just i'm very smart right it was just the Call guy didn't walk had just done one three months <laughs> earlier right but i looked like the smartest guy on the planet um but i was super for you know the the thing that happens right is you get a combination of the of you being prepared and you working with good people and working with people who are willing to take a risk on you. So, you know, at that company, we went through a merger. Another, we more great experience, first, more great experience. All this stuff's just stacking up your experience. We, we went through, we became the first public gene therapy company, which put us way, you know, highlighted the company. And, and, we got a new CEO, a guy called David Carter, who'd been around um, the industry a long time. And what was your position at the time, CFO? And I was, I was at that point the treasurer. And David came to me and said, "You know what, Mark? We're just going to make you the CFO, right?" Okay. And so here we are. The company has just got like. Was that your yeah. first CFO position? Was that the yeah. first one? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and David was exactly the right CEO. To I mean I, I I think he was the to me the quintessential perfect guy to work for. Cool. Because he was the type of person who said and and look I was new I didn't know I was doing right, but he he basically said look I'm not an expert in what you're doing you're the expert I trust you you go do it you figure it out I'm not going to look over your shoulder. If you think what you're doing is, you know, come talk to me. But otherwise, 
I'm going to let you do. And I, it was the greatest learning experience. That's wonderful. Which, com which, which company was this? This is a which Somatics. Company was Somatic. uh, called Somatics. Okay. What year was this? Uh, I think it was 92. 92. First CFO position. Great, man. Congratulations. Okay. What happened to that company? Ex did they exit? That, that company, yeah, that, that eventually um, went through a merger and exited. Um, it was it was tough times for biotech at that point. Okay. Um, so that wasn't your first big personal score from an exit necessarily, but it was... Yeah, it was a, it was a score. It was it it was a it was a good deal. Don't okay. get me wrong. It was a good okay. deal, but it was um, it was um, it, you know I, I think about biotech in those days. I mean, if your biotech company was worth a hundred million, was, like yeah. the whole company, yeah. right? You were, that time was a big deal <laughs> in the in the early to mid nineties. Uh, you know, if you had two hundred million market cap, I mean, that was like, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like if, if if the CFO's not worth two hundred million, then you know, right? Uh, we just the, the, the you know the the difference in values has has just it's just extraordinary, right? I mean, so I think that, three that, companies that or that uh, promotion slash exit really then catapulted the rest of your career for doing that that type of stuff. I, I think so. Yeah. 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 And it's funny too. I think what happened then was I did from that point on, I was trying to do more. I was trying to not be a CFO anymore. You wanted to but be I'm a board member sure. and an investor and a board member, et cetera, or, or I just wanted to I wanted to I wanted to be more involved in the business of the business. I see. Okay. And so um, you're thinking, pre you're thinking president, CEO, you're thinking. Actually, my first, my, what I really wanted to do next was more be, you know, cause there's a, there's a job, it's particularly in biotech called the chief business officer where you're a bit of business development and you're a bit of, um, and you're a bit of CFO. Okay. And, and the idea is because, the most interest to me, what's fascinating about you know the biotech biotech world is these gigantic deals that pharmaceutical companies will do with a relatively early stage biotech company, and the fact that the deals can be incredibly creative mm -hmm. and they can be transformative to your company. Mm -hmm. um, and so where could I get in? Where, where could I participate in doing that kind of a deal? Um, during, during this, I, I, I want to ask you, it sounds like professionally it's lining up for you, especially now that you, you, you're, you're starting to move away from looking at reports and crunching numbers and you're really into the 50,000 foot level of the right. business. What about the, what, what did it for you personally or passionately? Like what, what's driving the biotech fascination? Are you, yeah, no, I want to make, I wanna make people, I want to make people live longer. I want to have better health. I want to solve obesity. Like what, what's the passion driving the rest of it for you? I remember very early on 
And you know, one of the things of of being the you know the CFO's job was often was pretty much to be the interaction with Wall Street or and with your investors. Yeah. Um, and I remember um, when I was at Somatics, and you know we had a number of different uh, programs. But I remember um, we had a hemophilia program, and um, we had a um, we had a couple of large. Um, they were basically um, arms of investment banks um, where they had brought in um, high net worth individuals who, who, were, who, who had stock in the company. And this guy said, you know, you got to talk to this guy. You know, he owns a bunch of your stock and he's been buying it on the open market. You got to talk to him. Okay, I talked to him. And he told me about... Um, his daughter's issues with hemophilia mm. and the struggle and how, you know, the issues with sharp objects and continually having to be able to be on guard. And interesting. And he said, that's why I'm buying your sock. I need you to be successful. I really, if you're successful, I know at least one person whose life will be completely transformed. Wow. Right. And I think, you know, at that point it went from, hey, this is a cool place to solve puzzles and do cool <laughs> things. Yeah. yeah. Right. To this is a cool place to, you know, to get my jollies doing cool things. But if if you can change one person's life that profoundly, how cool is that? Right. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. It, it, th that's wonderful. If you can help people and make money. Right. And, and truly help people, not not just create something from them to buy, but truly help people yeah. and make money. That's that's the golden ticket, I think. So that's awesome. And, and I know, you know, jumping forward to what we're currently doing, I mean, the, the thing that is so profound in our current company. Tell us about the current company. Give us the overview. So the current company, so Phenomic Sciences. Um, we are a precision medicine company for obesity. And so, you know, obesity has been in the news a lot because of these new drugs. Um, but one of the things that is not as well understood in, actually probably well understood um, by people suffering from the disease is it doesn't always manifest itself the same way. So our company is built uh, on the foundation of some remarkable science done over the last 10 years at Mayo Clinic. And the discovery there is that obesity is not one disease, but many. I can and see it, that for sure. At least four of these subtypes um, can be described in four, actually four of the subtypes represent 85% of people with obesity. Okay. What are they? Yeah. Um, and the subtypes are hungry brain, which is, is manifested by folks who eat a lot of the single sitting, never feel full. There's hungry gut, which are people who have an, uh, who have to snack between meals. You, you, you feel full, 
But then half an hour later, you um, need to eat again. Emotional eating, which is, you know, eating for, let's say COVID eating, for anxiety, emotional issues, and then slow burn, which a lot of people think they have, which is slow metabolism. A lot of so people think they. A lot of people think they have, but don't. And they don't necessarily have slow burn. So you know, you know. Oh, doc, I have slow metabolism. My problem is low metabolism. Is that the easy out? out? Is that is that is that the is that the easy get out of jail free card? Often it's the easy answer, right? <laughs> what's great is that the um, the what they've shown in many many clinical studies is if you know these phenotypes, these these subtypes of obesity, you can treat patients with the right intervention the the first time. So. It turns out that for these new drugs, um, the, the, the primary phenotype is hungry gut. And about 40% of patients have hungry gut and 40% of patients respond well to these new drugs like Ozempic. Okay. So that, um, all right. So let's kind of pause right there. Yeah. We're recording this on January 3rd, 2024. Um, yeah, this was Zimperic. It's all, it's all, it's all I hear about now. I, I, I hear this all the time. People are constantly talking about it. I, I'm not an expert on it. I, I just know that I have family members. People who are like, is, no, like, what, it's, what, it's, is this the new Viagra? Like, is this, is this Viagra? Like, what is this? This is everywhere now. What's going on it's here? Everywhere, right? It's just the craziest thing. And so, um, and what was so funny, right, is when we started working on this company this craze was not going right. right? So, so the craze, oh, craze, the interest in obesity drugs really took off beginning of last year, which was right around the time we launched our first genetic test. So we super bent. This is this once in a while, you know, um, as I'm sure other participants in your podcast have told you, being in the right place at the right time really helps sometimes. It's right? critical. In fact, in fact, for the listeners, you know, I've always heard, you know, you could break down top, top three reasons for success in, in startups, you know, and everybody's got their debates and, you know, it's cash, it's people, it's this, it's that. Timing is huge. Yes. Gigantic. <laughs> so, sorry. Didn't mean to get us off track, but timing. No, no. And I can get back to that too. I've got a great story on that, but that you know the fact is is that you know we're beginning to see two or three things happening that really that really are going on in the field of medicine um right now that put us in a in in a really interesting spot so okay. first of all is just the acknowledgement that the the future of medicine is personalized medicine is precision medicine so in oncology, that's now an accepted fact. 30 years ago, you know, we were just on the beginning of it. But we know that for all areas of health and medicine, that humans are different and they they behave and react different. So that's a one thing. You know, getting into personalized medicine is is, I think, for any area of effort in medicine looking at a way to introduce precision medicine 
is timely. The other thing that's going on is that, you know, obesity for many, many years was not even considered a disease. So the AMA didn't, did not call or call out obesity as a disease until 2013. Wow. So think about that. Before yeah. that, so in 2013, over a third of adults in the U.S. had BMIs of over 30, which is what we characterize obesity as. And yet we didn't call it a disease. We just, well, it was a condition. You know, just it was something that your doctor would say, you know, you probably need to skip lunch and you already need to exercise a little more. Isn't it true right now that the stat on obesity is around 30 percent? Is that not right? Uh, right. No, it's way more now. So now we're at 42% by the last count. And that count is four years old. 42% obesity. And isn't the, quote, overweight stat more like 70%? Yeah, that's right. And it varies by state too, Steve. So if you, yeah. there are states in the South where the the obesity rate is over 50%. That's crazy. Heading to 60%. That's crazy. So they think by the end of the decade, more like 60%. Now I'm about to go down a rabbit hole here. So stop me if I need to, because we were, we were talking about phenomics and I want to come back to your company and everything you're doing, but I got to ask you this. So, okay. So when, when I hear, when I hear people say, okay, th this is a disease and it affects people a certain way. It's not just because of the food they eat or, or whatever. It's it's a disease. But then, okay, and I hear people say that. And I'm not an expert on it. You're the expert, so you can educate me. I hear people say that. And then they. I also hear, well, just so you know, if you go down to Alabama and Mississippi and, and Louisiana and, and, and all these places, the obesity rate is definitely higher. Well, why? I guess my... my brain is asking myself what well, what the does the disease the does the disease live in the southeast part of the country more than it lives in berkeley like what what's what's going on here help help me out mark I, I think it's a you know it's like anything else right it's a combination of genetics which is what we're looking at and have a lot of evidence on the fact that it's genetics okay and the environment and so you know phenotypes are a combination of your genetics interacting with the environment and 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 generating mm. some you know manifestation of mm. a disease state. I see. And so, you know, if you have a genetic predisposition to um, obesity, and what we do is say a certain type of obesity, and you happen to live in an environment where um, I see. Mm. You know, you're only all your buddies eat salads, like in California. Yeah. You know, yes, you're still going to be thin, right? Because everybody's eating a salad. Um, they're miserable, mind you, but they're eating salad. Um, <laughs> and if you're in an environment where you know food is different, the um, you know, and you have that. Uh, same same predisposition, you know, you're gonna you're gonna um, you're gonna gain weight. And you're okay, fair, fair fair enough. Yeah, I probably I'm just guessing. You know, looking at it that way, 
I bet you if I lived in Mississippi, no, I don't mean to pick on all of my Mississippi friends, but if I lived in Mississippi, I probably, I would just guess I would be heavier because the environment, the atmosphere, the fewer, fewer people are, you know, I live in Colorado. Everybody here is active, right? If you're, if you're not, if right. you're not active here, you're abnormal. You know what I mean? No, uh, you got a, you've got a mountain bike strapped on the back of your car and you're yes, hiking the mountain. Yes, yes, yes. So, so I, you know, I, I get that. I get it. I get it. Let me, uh, I didn't mean to get off that. Let me double back. Tell, tell us about the company more. Give us, give us, go ahead and finish your overview and what your, yeah. what, what your business model is, what you're, you know, what you're doing. Let's give us, let's get a nice overview if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, we're, 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 we're fortunate because we're, we're seeing, you know, the rise of precision medicine. We're seeing the, the rise of taking obesity seriously right. as a disease. Yes. So that means pharmaceutical companies, payers, um, insurance companies, um, and all the large provider systems, um, companies that do employee self-insurance, uh -huh. they're all now looking at the fact that you know, here's a disease, here's, here's a disease that 10 years ago we didn't even consider a disease that basically is affecting half the population, right? It's like you know, it's a 150 million patient population that all of a sudden came out of the blue. Like, what if you, what if we said cancer came, right? Under all of a sudden, 150 million people had cancer. So anyway. Who do we blame? By the way, who who's blamed? I'm, I'm going down another rabbit hole. Who do we blame for the come out of the blue uh, epidemic here? Who's to blame? The are, are the, are the, the Cargill families of the world to blame for the food or the, are the fast food to blame? Is the social media sitting behind your TV screen instead of exercising to blame? Who is to blame for this out of the blue pandemic we're, we're, we're facing here? Yeah, I think we just, it was, it's, I think, I think it's more like the, the, the frog analogy, right? Okay. Right. If you put the right. frog in boiling water, it jumps out. If you slowly turn up the heat, you don't notice, right? Okay. We just didn't yeah. notice. We didn't notice it. Yeah. We didn't okay. notice. We we're like, wait, why is why is everybody driving an SUV, not a Pinto? Oh wait, because they can't fit <laughs> in a Pinto anymore. Um, uh, but, okay. but I think I, I think we're 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 in a great position because we have an ability to to provide insights that are useful for everybody in the healthcare system in combating this epidemic. So the, the insights that we can provide, which are here are the here here's the genetic profile of people with this disease that can that can tell you how to treat them better, um, which of the various types of medication, diet, devices, surgical techniques, which of those is going to be best suited for your patient? How do we get that person? better as soon as possible. And how do we do it in the most effective way and the most cost-effective way? So that's interesting, obviously, to a patient because, you know, if you're suffering from a disease, if you're suffering from a condition, you want to get better fast, right? You want to have, yeah. you, you want to know that what you're doing is reliable. One of the things on a side note that was, was really remarkable talking to obesity specialists uh, when we were forming the company 
three years ago, was saying how much money a patient would have spent on variety of diets over years before they first saw an obesity specialist. Great thousands question. of dollars. Trying yeah. to oh, get at that. least I would get, yeah, for sure. Thousands of dollars trying to get Absolutely. That. Yeah. So can we get that person better now, not waiting five years and trying a whole bunch of different stuff? And is that the business model? Uh, um, patients are logging in, signing up. What, yeah. what is the model so and the, how are you? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so the model really is um, right now, it is that we will sell the tests through physicians to patients. I see. Now that'll change. We're going to go through the process this year of of seeking uh, reimbursement codes and getting reimbursement for uh, the test. Um, you know, obesity has is is an odd disease in the sense that um, it has been hard for people companies to get reimbursement for their obesity products. Um, again, this is because we've traditionally not thought of it as a disease, hmm. but we're convinced that we will be able to get um, reimbursement codes, get this reimbursed, and then we'll simply be selling essentially to um, physicians uh, and our business model will be, you're seeing a patient for the first time, you need to understand more about that patient than you could get from simply interviewing. Gotcha. We're gonna give you genetic information on that patient and that genetic information will give you the ability to make decisions on diet and exercise advice. Do they need some kind of coach? which of the various drugs should you be on? So should you be on a Zempic? You know, the thing that's remarkable, right, is a Zempic is, well, it's not actually a Zempic, but for obesity, the same drug is branded as Wagovi. But Wagovi is 1,200 bucks a month, right? And even if you get coverage, your copay is going to be a lot. For a lot of people, there's no coverage. We've shown in studies, I say we, uh, Mayo Clinic, our founders have shown that in about 20% of patients, those so-called hungry brain patients, you can get the exact same weight loss with a drug called fentanyl to pyramate. And how much is it? And, and that's about a hundred bucks a month, probably 80 bucks a month with a coupon. Why aren't people, is there just lack of awareness? What's the, what's the scoop? Lack of awareness. Very few people know what Q this is Fentanyl permeates marketed as Qsimia. Very people, very few people know. They, they so what here's what tends to happen nowadays, right? And we again we talk to a bunch of uh, obesity physicians. Patient will come in for the first time, see their see their specialist, somebody who's studied obesity for 20, 30 years, and say to them, Doc. I was watching TikTok and TikTok tells me that you need to prescribe me Ozempic. Right? <laughs> so what do you say to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, my you friends have... lost weight on Ozempic. Yeah. yeah. Do you have to have yeah. a prescription or can you buy it on the black market? Can you buy it under the table from the kid down the street? Or you got to have a prescription Ozempic. 
you should have a prescription. There's, <laughs> you know, there's been, there were shortages, manufacturing shortages um, at, at the beginning. And so, um, Sadly, yeah. there was a you know site big market in compounding these drugs. Yeah, and you know, dangerous. Yeah, but you know, this is this is the why I think this is so fascinating is we have the ability to 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 to, to actually do the timeout. Yes, timeout. Like right. That. Hold on. Before we, you know, before you demand mm -hmm. this drug. Mm -hmm. Why don't you do this test? Let's find out a little more about you. Let's and find the, um, out about you at your genetic level. Is the test is that your is that your proprietary uh, uh, product, yeah. so to speak, that you're selling? Is and is it a device? Is it a is it a yeah? So what does the test consist of? Great question. Um, and um. One of our, our big debates is how does our business model evolve? Our current business model is we okay. sell a very simple, easy to use test. It's actually a saliva test. Okay. You get a you get a little wand like this, and you do cheek swab, put it in a to send it to a lab, and it looks at about six thousand gene variants. Okay, and do you have to real quick? Do you have to Go to your doctor and so, get that so right, swab yeah. from the doctor because so right you're because you're selling you're you're yeah. selling the test okay. kit to the doctor, so you got to go to the doctor. Okay, you can't do it at right home. now. Okay. We're doing it through the doctor. Okay, it, and and so evolution of the business model is could be a consumer base, right? Or it could okay. be yeah. at clinics, or it could be at yeah. Walgreens, right? Evolution of the business model. Yes. Um, but right now it is selling a test kit and getting an answer on your genetics. I'm assuming if you sell the test kit directly, if, if you sell the test kit directly to the consumer and you bypass the doctor, your margins are better, I'm assuming. So that's the goal. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Um, healthcare is a interesting place. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. If, if whatever you learned in econ 101, you throw out when it comes to Oh, health. okay. All right. Because remember, uh, the person who's ordering is not the person who's paying. And neither of those are the people who are benefiting from your product, right? Uh, Unlike any other thing uh, that you can think about. Crazy. Right? That's crazy. Um, and so one of the things that we, you know, one of the things you think in healthcare are, who are all the people who need to be aligned to make you yourself really successful, Right. So, so we have two big areas where, where we want to be successful. One is in um, how do you how do you pick the right intervention for your patient? If you're a physician, how do you find the right intervention for your patient? And a second part of that question is what can that intervention be? And I'll get into that in a second. Okay. The other big area that's interesting is because obesity is just taking off and because in particular drug companies are also seeing that there are many different types of obesity. There are many different types of drugs being developed. And those different drugs, it turns out, 
target the other phenotypes. Okay. So now, can we help that? Can yeah, we does help your, does your test does your test tell the doctor what phenotypes to attack and what drug to give them? So our 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 drug our our, our test basically says, "Hey, Steve, we we took your test in your hungry gut. So you're hungry. It's all we tell you. That's all we tell the doc. The doc then looks looks up on the you know and says, "Oh, hungry gut patients, they probably do best on a Zempic. So you're going to get a Zempic. Okay. Right. Um, but what's interesting too, right, is let's say you are uh, developing a drug for hungry brain, right? Do I want to test that drug on hungry gut patients or slow bone patients or mm. emotional eating patients? No, it makes no sense. Mm. I'm developing a drug for hungry brain patients. Well, how do I find those patients? It's no quite you know it's no questionnaire. So one of the things we can do is help those companies that are developing drugs for all these other types. I see. Help those drug companies develop their drugs. Help them develop drugs quicker so that those patients who have the other phenotypes can get new medications faster because we can help them develop their drugs faster. Uh, I see and is that where a lot of your investors have come from not to jump down jump jump ahead but is that where so the investors well, it, it's not so much where the investors come from, although we do have a couple of people we're talking to are really interested in the drug development side. Okay. But we are in discussions with a number of drug companies about how do we help them on their drug development? Can we participate in their clinical studies? Can we help understand why this patient responded and this one didn't, for example? And so... Um, a lot of excitement around that right mm. now because okay. because all of a sudden the pharmaceutical companies are now jumping all over this as a disease area. So that's you know the two broad kind of areas. But within the first the first area, which is we're giving a piece of information to a physician and their patients, part of the question is. Where do you go with that? Because right now we're saying, here's your genetic makeup. And that corresponds you, Steve, to being a hungry gut patient. But what else can I tell you, right? Can I yeah, tell what else you? Can you do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so can I package that around a specific diet? Can I put a food plan together for you? Can mm. I mm. put, can I automate that into groceries that are delivered to your house every week? Mm. Mm, right. That's good. I like that idea. Can I link it to your Fitbit? Sorry, I don't know who am I allowed to advertise here. What's your What's your phone? Let's call it just a phone. Um, but no. you know, what else can I link it to, so that you? Oh. Mm. Yeah, Mark. I. You also have hungry gut. And if I know something more about how you can help yourself mm. with that, how can I deliver that to you in such a way that it's seamless, it becomes part of your routine, it becomes part of your life? So that sounds like, and I, I hate to keep coming back to the business model aspect of it and how you can make money, but 
So is that a, okay, I sell, I have this awesome test. I sold the, I'm selling it to the clinics and doctors and, and that's how I'm making money. But now I am also having the patients log in and sign in because they have their report. And now the patients can also stay a member because I'm going to feed them with their yeah, exercise absolutely. list. I'm going to feed them with their grocery list. I'm going to feed them. So you go from, you go from selling a one-time product to yeah, a SaaS yes. type service. Right? There we go. There we go. That, well, in, in the parlance, and, you are, and, and you are the master at raising cash with, with this type of stuff. So, but you're, so, so in the parlance of, <laughs> of, um, uh, you know, of, of the healthcare system, you're on a PM PM basis. Per yeah. member per month, right? So okay. if I'm selling to insurance company, it's a PMPM basis, right? So, but one of the lessons of doing, you know, startups for years and years and years is you got to start somewhere, Steve. You can't, yep, you can't totally. do all of it yep, at once, yep, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So and, and, this and, year and, is selling products. I got you. Yeah, this no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. Up, scaling up and are you sustainable? Are you sustainable? Are you, are you, are you, you're, you're, I'm assuming you're burning your investment cash right now. You're, you're not. Yeah. yeah. So, so our target is that by the end of this year, we could get to self-sustainability. Okay, cool. So 24. All right. And I, and I think it's, it's um, a stretch goal, but it's possible. Yeah, so that's fine. Are you an investor too? Or did they, did the investors hire you as the CEO or were you, are you a founder? What's, what's your mix? Yeah, I'm, um, Principally, actually, the, the the backstory on this is is pretty cool. Okay. Um, so it's a longer than just a. That's uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We got if I, if we go over a couple of minutes, I'm okay with it. If you are. Yeah, yeah. No, are we there? Wow. Well, so yeah, tell me. What's so the, what's your... I could do this for hours. Yeah, know, go but... for. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, I, so, I'm good so for the time. The backstory is, um, I was working, um, 2017, got pulled into it. Uh, an entity called Health 2047. Um, and, uh, and Health 2047 is a spin-out of the American Medical Association. Okay. And okay. its job is to do startup investing in areas of health that are important to physicians. Okay. And Health 2047 is based in Silicon Valley. And really the, the job is, is, to, is to found kind of cool new companies so we've done a lot of different things from uh ai um even insurance companies uh, a lot of a lot of different areas um but i got introduced to the founder of phenomic sciences while i was working at health 2047 um and the founder uh dr andres acosta um through a mutual friend um in minnesota and I met the guy and I said, this is going to be a big thing. I don't know why, but this is going to be a big thing. This guy's super passionate. He's got a point of view. This is going to be huge. Single what founder? Single founder? Uh, two founders. Okay. Um, uh, Andres is the, is, is the one who's more of a driving force. His, his mentor, Dr. Michael Camilleri, it's, it's probably the top GI doctor in all of America. Okay. It's, when it's, was it founded? When, 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 did, when did they so found? It was originally founded in 18, 2018. Okay. All right. And then we restarted it in 21. So we did a kind of, we did a recapitalization when we came in. Okay. So I started off as, as, as a, as 
the lead of the group that made the investment from Health 2047. Ah. And so I was, you know, um, it's not really a venture firm. Health 2047 does a lot of kind of founding from the ground up. But this was an exception. We love the science. We loved what what. At that um, moment, I'm just curious. At that moment, were you thinking I need to run? The, I need to be CEO as well, or were there none of that? That no. that wasn't even. No. Uh, but, but what I did know is when I saw the company, I said I want to be involved in this. Company. I know okay. what in okay. some way I need to be involved. I know this is going to be huge. Okay. I just intuitively know. This is going to be a knock the ball out of the park kind of thing. And who was running things? Who was running day to day at that point? Well, at that time, uh, Andres, who was, you know, full time Mayo doc, was okay. the CEO. Okay. And one of the smartest guys I know, one of the most passionate guys I know, but just completely crazy to think that you can be a full time yeah, Mayo doc. No way. Yeah, there's no way. Company. He had brought in a very, very talented COO who sadly has now moved on. Okay. But um, but that's a founding story. And so one of the things that has been really interesting is to be able to have the support at the top of the AMA, right? Talking to the CEO of the American Medical Association, talking to the people on the board of directors. Nice. Of the AMA about our company. And then also to be able to be working with some of the top obesity physicians in the country. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Like that's that's pretty awesome. How much how much cash raised so far? Can you share that? I don't know what you want to share. Yeah, we're at about six million in. We're looking to raise another five right now to get. Are to you in a you're in a raise right now? What what are you calling that raise officially? I know that's everybody. That's another. Uh, we're part. calling it right now. We're calling it a seed extension. We're calling a seed oh. extension round. It's let's just call it more. Year. Let's just call it more money race. It's more money, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and what are you raising? I'm sorry. How much are you raising? We're raising five. Okay. And how far uh, are you? Do you, do you have a, do you have a current roadshow deck for that or a, a teaser for yep. that? You're, 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 okay. yep. We should we should talk offline for that. But um, okay. All right. Very good. And is there a bunch of grant money and stuff you've also been given uh, over time? We have. Well. <laughs> We got the benefit of it is at least 15 million spent at um through grants at Mayo Clinic. And we have cool. the benefit of all that research. Great. We've applied for we've got applications in for four more million of grants right now. That look pretty promising. Very good. Very good. For the listeners, can you educate some of them? Because I get this question a lot. Um now, now Mayo Clinic, they, they don't own a piece of the cap table or anything, do they? Yeah, Mayo Clinic's part of the cap table. Oh, they are. Okay. Right. And um, they've just been a great partner. Okay, it's yeah, an amazing partnership. Um, okay, with them. Okay, very good. Your board is. Uh, do you have a board that's uh, manageable, or how, how are you? How are you feeling, Mark? Well, you know, no good comes from saying I hate my board on a podcast. <laughs> Hold Steve. on, let me hit stop. Let me hit stop on the recording. No, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, board management. So, what do you like? But let me ask the question this way. What do you dislike the most? Okay, the day-to-day, -day, the cash raise, the management of the board, you know, all these things that you are having to do now. If you had to force rank, I don't dislike maybe is a too strong of a term, but if you had to rank at the bottom, you know, what's your least favorite? Asking rich people for cash or what, what's your least favorite? I, I think anything that's routine, 
And part of the uh, problem with being in a startup is, okay. I mean, my personality type is not a routine. I get bored with details. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. So, um, and I don't mind, I don't mind raising money. I, you know, I do get, you know, the, the, the ratio of no's to yeses does wear on one's, you know. For sure. But that's just, you know, if you're not going to, you know, deal with that, then you shouldn't be in this, right? That's right. If you don't like the word no, you shouldn't try to raise cash. You shouldn't be in a stock. No, um, I mean, come on. Um, but I think those are the two. But I'm super fortunate. I mean, one of the things we didn't touch on is, I, mean, the, the, I think the key thing in these companies, right, is you, who you hire, like making sure that there's somebody that you hire who, who makes up for the things you don't like or you don't do well, like that's what you have to really think about. Couldn't agree more. And just to just to dive in on that a little further, it's not it's not, in a startup. It's so critical to yeah offset e each other's skill sets. But I also want to throw in there when it's small like that, you really have to just be able to get along. I mean, right. you, you don't necessarily yeah. have to have. You don't have to have the same beliefs across the board with with race and religion and politics and sexual preference and all all these social things don't necessarily have to line up 100%. But when you're in a startup and you're in a very small group and you're around each other all the time, like if you're um I don't know, if, if you're a gun gun toting uh I go to the you know you go to the range every week and you love to, you love to hunt and all this and your co-founder is part of PETA and like hates guns and would never kill an animal. Like it, it might not be a good fit, right? Like these, uh, who you hire, not just from a, a skill set, the offsetting each other's skill set, but do you have a lot in common personally that you can just hang around? I really think is important at that small level. Now I'm a huge believer that diversity and thought process and things like that as the company grows is more important. Yeah. But, but man, you, you know, you really got to be careful who you hire early on. Cause if you I, don't, the thing is, here are my rules for what is worth Steve of hiring is, you know, so first of all, in a small company, to your point, you're going to be a family, right? And so, yes, how, you know, are you going to your point? Are you going to be able to get along day to day? Yes. Yeah. How do you, how, you finish an argument, right? Right. So do you finish the argument by pouting or do you finish the argument by going, hey, buddy, I'll think about that and I'll get back to you, right? <laughs> um, you know, how much initiative do you show, right? In a small company, it's all about initiative. It's all about getting it off, right? It's all about... And 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 I think one of the things you have to look out for is who are people, do you see tendencies in your organization to tamp down initiative? And usually like that. that and usually you'll see that by somebody constantly hopping on somebody else's mistake. It's like, you know what? Let them make a mistake. Because at least they're showing an initiative, at least they're getting shit done. Right. Yeah. Or they're trying they to make a mistake. Right. Yeah. I like that. Now, if they make a lot of them, sorry, that's, you know, that's a bad sign. But if you're hopping on picking on little stuff, it's your tamping down on initiative. 
Yeah, totally. How many employees right now or team members? We're at we're at five full time, and we got about five contractors. Yeah, and about uh, and and three part times. I'll t I'll give you I'll give you two more rules. I'm sure you've heard of one of them. One rule here's sadly my my rule that I learned from a couple of startups ago was don't hire anybody from a big company. And that doesn't have prior startup small company experience. Because here's what you find. In big companies, you'll pay to know stuff. <laughs> when you come in for an interview, you're going to sound great because you know a lot. Yeah. But you're not paid to do something. In fact, you're disincentivized from doing stuff. Incentivized to know stuff. In great a small point. company, great you're incentivized point. to do stuff. And I can only afford to have people who do stuff right now. Sorry, later I'll get somebody who can know stuff. <laughs> I love that, Mark. That's such such great advice. And as a as a recruiter for for our day job at Riderflex, yeah, anytime anytime a startup small company hires us to find an executive or a high level team member. I'm sure as hell not going to recruit them from Coca-Cola or IBM or whatever. There's, there's just no way. It never works. Never. It never works. And then the last rule is, you know this one, but it's worth repeating, no assholes. Yeah. Because totally. that person will take all of your time. You will spend all your time, not because I care whether they're asshole or not. It just, it's just a time sink. Yes, and I think that's a good way. We could wrap up right here. I think this is a good closing topic. The no asshole rule has always been important, right, in life. But I think now with, I really believe this, this is going to sound out there a little bit. With the development of AI and technology that is rapidly um, taking over the tactical duties more and more and more of human beings, the things that we just need to do, that's going to free us up more for EQ and emotional intelligence and the people skills and yeah. the soft skills. And so, so the no asshole rule and the people skills has always been important, but I actually think with the advancement of AI to replace tactical duties, the people skills and soft skills are going to be even more important yeah. for you no, to, to stand right. out as a quality executive. So I really, that's believe. a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And that'll separate you uh, from the pack uh, for sure. So yeah, the days, the days of being a super smart, high IQ software developer, but you were an asshole and you were still employed. Those days are coming to an end. <laughs> Sorry to say. Uh, Where will those guys go? Yeah, um, I don't, those hey, listen, are... this has been great. I really, really appreciate the time um, and uh, the questions. This was more fun than I was expecting, and I had high expectations. Well, um, so Mark, really, thank really you. Appreciate hey, congratulations. Great career. Congratulations on everything you've done. I mean, you, if you stopped right now and retired, you, you could you could feel very comfortable in what you've done for a living. So congratulations on everything. And then phenomic sciences is now off to the races. You're, you're building another one. I don't know how you, 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 you're still, you still got lots of energy and lots of positive spirit. So you're building another one to, to oh, grow and excellent. Congrats. Wishing you the best, my friend. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.